In the 90s, gay people couldn't have straight friends. That was just a rule. A rule. Yeah. You were either in the closet and you had guy friends and a fake girlfriend named Sarah, <laughs> or you <laughs> were out and you had no guy friends. Hypothetically. <laughs> hypothetical. Strictly hypothetical. Ah, <laughs> oh, Dawson, look, there's your mom. Back to you, Bob. Hello and welcome to Back to You, Baba Dawson's Creek Podcast. We're your hosts, Christina and Micah, and this is episode 212, Uncharted Waters, which originally aired on January 27th, 1999. Wow. <laughs> I couldn't tell you what was going on on January 27th, 1999. No, it's that weird holiday desert where like Christmas and New Year's have happened. We're waiting yeah. for president's day to come back around to give us a little bit of a reprieve some of us were waiting on valentine's that weren't coming oh, holding out hope that someone would slip a little piece of paper in our locker Mm-mm. not here let me tell you <laughs> sounds like you're drinking our dawson's drink over there i am why don't you tell us about it it's called the surrogate it is three quarters ounce of rambois four ounces of Prosecco, and two dashes of orange bitters. And it is crisp, delightful, delicious. I love it. It's true. I mean, there's nothing like drinking on a crisp fall day. Amen. But I mean, it's five. It's not like early in the day. Like, this isn't a cry for help. (laughs) There's nothing like drinking at 8 a.m. on a Tuesday (laughs) fall morning. (laughs) Dead. Screaming, crying, throwing up. Screaming, crying, throwing up because I started drinking at 8 (laughs) a.m. Well, let me tell you about this episode. Please do. So this episode is an interesting one because it breaks up the guys and the girls. So the guys go with their dads on a fishing trip for the weekend while the girls stay behind and hang out with Gail. But this episode opens with Dawson and Pacey in Dawson's room, where he is researching movies that deal with complex relationships because he's trying to add layers to his current film. And they zero in on one called The Great Santini, which is about a complicated father-son relationship. Now, this leads Pacey to talk about his relationship with his father, which, as we know, is not great. It's wrought with tension and disrespect and disappointment. Throughout the scene, Pacey is playing darts and he is killing it, which seems like a minor detail, but it does come into play later on. So later, Pacey and Dawson run into Pacey's dad and they talk about the upcoming weekend. And we see how John Witter, town sheriff, treats Pacey, which is horribly. He seems to hold Dawson in very high regard. So Dawson keeps telling Pacey, you know, your dad's not that bad. Talk to him. Open up to him. And Pacey said it's not that easy for everyone. You know, not everyone can talk to their dad like Dawson can talk to Mitch. So the boys go on this fishing trip, which is actually a fishing competition. And Dawson's dad goes and Pacey's dad goes. And Pacey actually invited along Jack as a favor to Andy. And of course, Dawson is very upset about this. And he and Jack spar all weekend. And we start to see that this episode is really about everyone's relationship with their dad. You know, Dawson is close with his dad, but he's disappointed in him because Mitch is not successful or career driven. And Pacey's dad is disappointed in him and is constantly putting him down throughout the weekend. And it's awful to witness. 
So after the first day of fishing, Pacey's dad gets really drunk at the bar that they're all at. And he and Pacey play a game of darts. And he essentially calls Pacey a loser as he's been doing the whole weekend. And this is Pacey's chance to finally beat his dad and show his dad that he can win something. But Pacey loses at darts. And as we know from the cold open, he's amazing at darts. So shortly after, it's clear that Pacey tanked this and his dad is going to continue thinking horrible things about him. A short time later, you know, his dad passes out drunk on the beach. And Pacey finally has that father-son conversation that Dawson's been wanting him to have with his dad. But it's one-sided since Mr. Witter is passed out drunk. And Pacey is very emotional and he's very sad and he's in tears. And he talks to his dad about how he's turning his life around and how his dad will never care enough to ask or acknowledge that he is. You can tell that this relationship is just really tearing Pacey up inside. So Dawson, meanwhile, tells Mitch that he doesn't understand why he isn't career driven. And Mitch says, you know, he's still trying to find his dream and he's not going to give up on it until he does. When it comes to Jack and his dad, Jack opens up to Dawson about how his dad left him and Andy. Dawson says, you know, oh, I know what that's like. And Jack says, like, no, you don't. Your dad is up the street. Our dad literally left us. He's not in the state. And this is when Dawson begins to realize that he's kind of been acting like a monster. And he realizes Jack isn't that bad after all. So Pacey ends up catching the award-winning fish for the weekend. And his father is proud, but he ruins the moment by saying Pacey should probably soak this up because he probably won't have many moments like this in his life. So Dawson overhears this and he tells Pacey that he's proud of him. And he tells Pacey that he respects him. And he knows that Andy does too. So having witnessed Pacey's father in action and hearing Jack talk about his, Dawson realizes how lucky he is. And he tells Mitch, thank you. And that he's so lucky to have him as a father. So when it comes to the girls in this episode, Joey is feeling very replaced by Jen because Joey learns that Jen is killing it as the producer on Dawson's movie. As you may recall, Joey was the producer on his last film. But things are further complicated when Jen invites Joey to Dawson's house this weekend to do a little focus group for Gail on one of her new segments about what plagues teenage girls these days and the issues they face. Now, getting an invitation to Dawson's from Jen really pisses Joey off. So as Joey, Jen, Abby, and Andy all gather at Dawson's, tensions between Joey and Jen boil over, and Joey lashes out at Jen, saying she's sick of Jen replacing her in every facet of Dawson's life. First his friend, then his girlfriend, now his friend again, now a producer, and now she's a surrogate daughter to Gail. Joey has had enough. Later, after they all bear their souls for the focus group, Joey apologizes to Jen and says she does respect her. So throughout the course of the evening, when the girls are opening up on camera for Gail, she kicks Abby out for lashing out and attacking the other girls. Once she's gone, Joey, Jen, and Andy are able to open up about each of the things that plagues them. You know, Jen talks about how horrible it was growing up in New York City, but how it's even worse now being a former city girl in a small town. Joey talks about how she feels inexperienced and uncultured. And Andy talks about the pressure of maintaining the perfect image. So the next morning, Gail tells Joey that she thinks of her as a surrogate daughter and she's proud of her. And Andy discovers Abby outside and realizes that she slept outside all night instead of calling her mom and telling her the truth and saying she needed a ride. So Abby confesses to Andy that she's obsessed with Andy, Jen, and Joey because of their family drama and because their lives are so exciting and her home life is so boring. And Andy tells Abby that they all wish she had her problems, which is basically not having any at all. Abby has a pretty normal home life. So in another soft moment for Abby, she offers Andy a ride home. And that is Uncharted Waters. 
a girls split from boys episode. We talked so much last season about how we liked that dynamic in in the company of men. The road trip. Yeah. Yeah. And this is another great version of that. I know. I love that. This episode was written by Dana Barada and Mike White, both of which we love, adore. Mike White, killing it, writing every episode. I know. Amazing. It's crazy. It really is. He's in it this season. Dana, too. She's been with us for a couple episodes this season so far, and obviously last season as well. The episode was directed by Scott Paulin. He has 22 directing credits, including Beverly Hills 90210, Picket Fences, Northern Exposure, Early Edition. But he actually has a much more illustrious acting career. He has 112 acting credits spanning from... 79 to 2014. He was in like a lot of movies in the 80s. He was in The Right Stuff. He's in Teen Wolf. He's in a bunch of series, most recently nine episodes of Castle. But yeah, he just has a crazy career. And he and his wife, who is also an actress, Wendy Phillips, founded a theater in Culver City, California. So I think that that seems to be what he's doing with most of his time these days. That is nuts. I just Google imaged him. And yes, I know his face for sure. I mean, he's one of those guys that's been in everything, but I could tell you really nothing that he was in. But yeah, well, props to him because this was like actually a very cinematic episode with all of those shots of the boat, like out on the water. And very emotional in terms of directing cast. He got a lot of good stuff out of them. So props to Scott. Yeah. And this was his first episode that he directed. So, wow. Yeah. Killed it. Absolutely. Agreed. We love that. There's so much Dawson's Northern Exposure Picket Fences overlap. I wonder if we should research that. I'm wondering if it was just a symptom of like, there were only so many steady working TV directors at the time. And there were so many like 22 episode series that they just all filtered through all of the series that were on the air because there were so many episodes that needed to be directed, you know? But yeah, maybe I could be wrong. We can uh, investigate further. That's why we do this segment, because we often see ties that we didn't see before. So, yeah, I really try not to look at the writer and director because I want you to tell me. But I noticed the directing immediately. Just those. Yeah, those aerial shots. It was very cinematic and it was very it was giving me. Oh, my God. What's the movie from the 90s with uh, Bailey from Party of Five with Scott uh, Wolf? White Squall. Oh. It's giving me like White Squall vibes. Anyway, it was was impressive directing, I I have to say. Agreed. What is our guest cast shout out? Our guest cast shout out this episode is going to John Finn, who is playing John Witter, Pacey's dad. He also has a ton of credits. He has two episodes with us this season one in season four, and then one in the final season. He's been in a million things. He was in four episodes of NYPD Blue, Without a Trace, Catch Me If You Can, Suits, Homeland, Madam Secretary, The Blacklist. But his biggest credit is 156 episodes of Cold Case. Yeah, like hearing his credits... From you just now, it feels like he is kind of typecast as a cop, a lawyer, a politician, something in that vein. Definitely. Which he does play a sheriff on our show. He sure does. And can I just say, the resemblance is uncanny, I feel. Like, I think it was perfect casting. Do you? Oh my god, I think they really look like father and son. I'm gonna have to, I'll I'll 
give it a gander. I think it, he was great casting. After so much buildup of hearing about him and hearing about him, I feel like he came in and executed perfectly. Yes. So this was another instance where we've been hearing about him like Joey's dad when they cast him for the finale. We've been hearing and hearing his big off-screen presence and then they cast him and they nailed it again. And I mean, he's so good. Absolutely. And may I just say, there were so many good guest stars in this episode because Meredith Monroe, Andy and Chris Smith, Jack are still considered guest stars. And then there's Abby, Monica Kina. And so then there was John Witter. So, I mean, it was a stacked episode. Yeah. As far as guest cast goes. Sure was. We love that. Yeah, we do love that. There was also a ton of music in this episode. Music moments. Let's do it. Yeah. Did did anything stand out to you? Did you watch with the original music? I did not watch with the original music. Neither did I. And I was sad. Well, good God. (laughs) What did we miss? Good God. The thing that I remember is (laughs) if I had a boat by Lyle Lovett plays when they first get to the boat. And I think it's like Mitch and Dawson getting onto the boat and then Jack coming. Or maybe it's Jack and Dawson on the boat, like their first little tiffy interaction. But I just remember, obviously, it was very on the nose if I had a boat and they were getting onto a boat. But I do remember that one playing. Dawson and Jack talk. Says Lyle of a place when Dawson and Jack talk. You know what? I don't think this was a big music moment episode for me because it's a lot of what's that genre of music? Ska? <laughs> sure. Is that the name like of it? Like punk ska, like yeah. Yeah. I wasn't a big ska person. Like real big fish. I feel like you were. I was, yeah. There were yeah. a handful of bands in high school and college I was definitely into. Like that kind of like brassy, like trumpet and a trombone. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I wasn't a big bandy person. I was like garbage, cranberries, Alanis, totally drama, angst. <laughs> Get your happiness out of here. Get your happy <laughs> trumpet away from me. So, do you remember vivid music moments aside no. from Lyle Lovitz? If I had, I certainly okay. don't. There was a ton of music in the episode, but none of them were like that emotional, <laughs> heart stringy. You mean you don't know Robin Ragland, <laughs> Peace in the Water? Oh, Peace in the Water. Her. Yeah, absolutely. Some of these bands, listen to these the music that was featured. McKeel, Matthew Ryan, who I actually know. Lyle Lovett, Real Big Fish, Bewitched, Say La Vie. Oh, Say La Vie. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. Black Toast Music, which reminds me of <laughs> Lady Blacksmith Mombazo from Mean Girls. Moxie Binge, Black Toast Music again, Robin Ragland, Fartu Jones, and Adam Cohen. I know Adam Cohen. Oh, Fartu Jones. Do you know that? <laughs> no, I don't. Oh, I was going to say, we would not have been friends. <laughs> All of those will be on our playlist. Yeah, we'll, we'll pick. Well, yeah, I'll pick a few. I'm not putting like 11 songs Maybe it'll just be all black toast music all the time. <laughs> Lady Blacksmith Mimbazo. <laughs> yeah, so those will be in our playlist as usual. All right. So past versus present. Yeah, do you have anything? It was a little much for me now as an adult <laughs> hearing Dawson tell his dad, like, uh, you're a loser. Yeah. Like, where's your job? Dawson is terrible. Dawson saying, hey, I appreciate that we're hanging out, but don't you think a better use of your weekend would be looking for a job? Unbelievable. Unreal. That was tough. Definitely my past first present was just kind of feeling like way more in tune with Mitch 
in this episode mm-hmm. and being like, gosh, like poor Mitch. Yeah. Uh, another past versus present moment for me, just, you know, right. Being a writer now, I did want a Mitch Pacey something, just like a scene of something. Yeah. Because I thought that would have mirrored Gail and Joey. Yeah. And then Mitch is really friendly with John Witter. It looks like, you know, their kids are friends, but it would have been nice if Mitch also kind of saw that Pacey and his dad, you know, had a horrible relationship and kind of gave Pacey that. I will say, you know, Pacey doesn't really get a happy ending in this episode, which I like that they did that, you know, because the easy choice would have been for him and his dad to have a nice little moment where his dad said, I'm so proud of you for winning that trophy. Like, oh, maybe you are turning your life around, whatever it is. But they really dug in and. Yeah, they doubled down. I kind of like that. I like that. They yeah. doubled down. And they didn't give us the happy ending for Pacey. And that was a choice. I feel like it was the right one. It was effective for me. Especially at the end when Dawson pulls his head out of his ass and is like, you know, there are a lot of people who like you and respect you for the person that you are. One of them standing right in front of you talking about himself. And then he talks about Andy and the little smirk, like how happy thinking about Andy makes Pacey. It hit so hard for me. I was like, wow, like. This little fresh love that we've been watching, it really is enough to pull him out of this really dark moment. I thought it was really cute. Yeah, it was really cute. I agree with you, though, with the, on the Mitch Pacey front. I was longing for that, too. And I do feel like Mitch, as much as I was feeling like bad for him, he was very lost in the episode to me. Like He was there, but he wasn't really used for anything. And I wonder if that was intentional of like Mitch is like currently just kind of a little bit of a floater. But I feel like they could have given him more. They definitely could have. I do think there was a lot going on in this episode. And at first, you know, my first watch, I didn't really think much of it. You know, a girl's weekend, a guy's trip. But there is a lot. It's like a complex layered episode. There's a lot happening. But I do think him and Pacey having a scene would have mirrored that Gail Joey. Because that Gail Joey scene was sweet. It was nice. It was. I think that's that's it for me for past versus present. Shall we open it up? Let's open this up. I always love a, a good establishing of something in the cold open, like Pacey's an impeccable dart player. Love that they just throw that in. Let us know at the top. 1000%. Again, a small detail comes back later. And that's the thing too. You know, Dawson comes across very annoying a lot, but he's really just trying to force his kind of idealistic utopian view on everyone. You know, you're having problems with your dad. Just talk to him. Like, it'll be fine. It's, it's hard to watch Dawson be so clueless mm-hmm. or insensitive, naive. naive. But on paper, I feel like Dawson doesn't come across as badly sometimes as James plays it. But James plays it really in your face, insensitive. But have you ever seen The Great Santini? I never even heard of it. No. Let's look up the plot of The Great Santini. And also, Pacey's like, my dad sucks. I know a thing or two about that. I don't even need to watch The Great Santini. And Dawson's like, oh, come on. And The Great Santini, the guy's bouncing basketballs off his son's head. Like, at least your dad doesn't beat you. And Pacey's like, okay. I mean, yeah. Great point, Dawson. <laughs> Thanks for that. Okay. As he approaches manhood, Ben Meacham struggles to win the approval of his demanding alpha male father, an aggressively competitive but frustrated marine pilot. Robert Duvall plays the the dad, the John Witter in that movie. Let's talk about that scene where Pacey and Dawson run into Pacey's dad. The first time we see him, he pulls up in his squad car. Dawson and Pacey are riding bikes. He makes a comment that 
Dawson better come back from La La Land when he's a famous director to visit Pacey at the local fast food joint where he'll be flipping burgers. Yeah. And Pacey <sighs> comes back with, well, the Wittermen are known for a long line of work that requires a uniform or something like that. Yeah. And he just, he cannot praise Dawson enough. He says, you're a brain, you're charming, you've so much excellence, you're so good at everything you do. Icky, icky. Especially because we've heard from Pacey so much of like how much it affects him to hear these things from his dad to now see it happen in action. It's like, ugh. Also, what was the plan here? They come up to the boat with their sleeping bags. Was the plan to just lay out sleeping bags on the floor of the boat and all sleep there? Well, the boat in the dock. Like Mitch is sleeping on the dock later. No, I, when I he's... know. That was the plan, uh, though. Who, oh, what was the plan? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I don't know. I've never gone on a weekend fishing trip. I've never gone on a day fishing trip. <laughs> I've never I've ne- been fishing. <laughs> I've never gone on a trip. What happens on an overnight fishing trip? In my mind, there would be like a little indoor spot, not like a luxurious bunk or anything, but somewhere to sleep, like roll out a little pad or something. This is just an open boat. Jack's dream come true. <laughs> Five men just sharing a little cabin. Uh, but he's not gay yet. Not yet. It's not his fantasy. <laughs> just kidding. But Pacey says, I don't know if you caught that little one-liner. He was like, I invited Jack as a favor to Andy. He doesn't have that many guy friends. Gay. In the 90s, gay people couldn't have straight friends. That was just a rule. A rule. Yeah. You were either in the closet and you had guy friends and a fake girlfriend named Sarah, <laughs> or you were out and you had no guy friends. Hypothetically. <laughs> Strictly hypothetical. <laughs> No trauma. I don't know what the plan was. I don't know. I don't know what happens when you go on overnight fishing trips. Yeah, I don't know either. And also, okay, two things. Did you notice when they're pulling out from the dock at the very beginning, there's a boat called Trash Fest? Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Trash Fest? Trash Fest. That would be our boat. <laughs> was it like a party boat or was it like another a, no, a look, fishing team? Looks like a fishing boat to me. I didn't notice, but I, what I thought you were going to say was how Dawson holds on to the dock like very dramatically, like he doesn't want to let it go. It's like, oh my God, Dawson, it's not that bad. I mean, I don't blame Dawson, really. It's a bummer to like not like someone and learn that you're going to be trapped in a very small environment with them for 48 hours. That kind of sucks. The second thing I was going to say is they make such a big deal this season about not leaving mrs mcphee alone and now they're both at overnights for the weekend who's taking care of her you know tim's ghost maybe like a nurse maybe she's just roaming the streets of cape side well it's the cape side annual fall fishing classic she's just gotta suck <laughs> it up they just gotta give her a couple extra tranquilizers that's true maybe they knocked her out this episode made me kind of nostalgic slash homesick just for the east coast fall like everyone's in their jean jackets and hoodies and their layers and their flannels and their fleece vests come on baby i mean we're here for you it was like 100 degrees yesterday that's disgusting it's dying yeah, just it just like a, looked like a crisp North Carolina morning. I can tell you it is crispy over here on the East Coast, yes. and you should come. Bring your jean jacket. My jean jacket. Now, my question for anyone who has a boat. So Pacey, Pacey's dad was like, you're a loser. Us men and Dawson and Jack are <laughs> going to man all the fishing rods. You're going to go be a loser somewhere else. And so Pacey's like steering the boat. 
But he does say, like, you have the most important job. Pacey holds up a number. Did you notice Joshua Jackson? Joshua Jackson, when he's captaining the boat, he holds up a 53, yeah. I think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I Googled what that means, and I couldn't find anything. Maybe it's just, so. like, for the competition. Oh, like their boat number 53? That's what I kind of mm. assumed, but I don't know for sure. I see. I can't get enough of Mitch's little j crew style on this fishing trip he has like a turtleneck a cute fleece jacket he's got his little camera out he's just there this is what i'm saying like mitch is just kind of floating along he's not really a part of the same trip as everybody else mitch is not afraid of a turtleneck moment or deep v he loves all sorts of neck coverage my dad used to wear the hell out of turtlenecks like in the 90s no more he's done with them He's done with them, yeah. Kind of, I think. I mean. Bring them back. Yeah, like Christmas, it was a green turtleneck. Oh, one for every occasion. Yeah, like fa- it was a fancy thing. It was yeah. like a fancy. Yeah, yeah. I feel like turtlenecks really fell off there for a minute. And it became more about like a cowl neck or like a shawl yeah. situation. I love a shawl neck. Yeah. I love a shawl neck moment. But I feel like Gen Z is bringing turtlenecks back. They're bringing everything back. Butterfly clips. Male turtlenecks. Everything we hate. (laughs) (laughs) Something should stay in the past. I know. It's not that I mind younger generations. I just don't like when they try to like shame us for stuff. I don't like shaming boomers and shaming like sure. Just acknowledge that each generation lived at a time that is now seen as cringy ancient history. And we yeah, and we've been shaped because of it. And if we don't know how to work things or we don't understand things, explain it to us. Don't criticize us. Don't say, okay, boomer. And will you be running for president next year? Because you have my vote. <laughs> is this your platform? I don't know. Technology is just failing me a lot lately. And I'm too young to not understand technology. But like, I don't get certain. My DVD player wasn't working. Like, why is my DVD player not working? I don't know. None of us can get it to work. My AirPlay doesn't really work anymore when I try to stream from my computer to my Apple TV. But anyway. Gen Z and their turtlenecks. (laughs) Stupid little freaks. (laughs) So meanwhile, the girls who are at Dawson's house for Gail's focus group decide to, thanks to Abby Morgan, ransack Dawson's room and look for incriminating. Yes. And they find Goodwill humping his porn. Yeah, they do. And they're watching it. And it's obviously hilarious. We just see the reaction side of things. But then Gail comes in, and do you know what she says to them? What you watching? <gasps> yes. <laughs> yes. I, I clocked that, and I was like, we should take that sound bite for like our segment. I know. I know. I did actually clock that. Before she says what you watching, Abby says something very funny, which is the moment that this VHS leaves off is the moment Dawson finished. Yes. So funny. That is funny. But there's lots of their faces are bending and contorting because they're watching the screen and they're trying to follow like the positions that these women are pretzeling themselves into. And Abby makes a lot of cracks to Jen about how Jen's a slut and a whore and she's done all this and she could be a porn actress. And Joey's laughing at the slut shaming. As we know, Joey and Jen have tension because Dawson decided to rub it in Joey's face at the beginning how... (laughs) of a job Jen was doing mm-hmm. now she's killing it she is the best producer I have ever seen basically is what he's saying yeah and Joey was like Ugh. he's like oh I didn't mean like that I'm not comparing you 
weirdo. And then Katie Holmes is her faces throughout the whole scene are amazing. She's just giving Dawson dirty looks, Jen dirty looks. Jen comes up to Dawson and Joey and Dawson's like, gotta run. <laughs> and Jen's like, oh, it's okay. I wanted to talk to Joey anyway, not you. Joey's the look on Katie Holmes' face is she's like disgusted. She's like, what do you want from me? Please. What could me. you ever have to talk to me about? It's so good. When they first are setting up for the Gale segment. Oh, yeah. When Abby's like, look, check out that cameraman's angle. Yeah. But she goes, that looks heavy. You must be built ram tough. Is that what she says? I think so. That camera equipment looks really heavy. You must be built ram tough. And he's like, nah, it's not that heavy. Poor Abby. (laughs) She's always hitting on these older men. So horny. These men want nothing to do with her. But Chris, last week he was throwing himself at her and she was going, ah, as if she was giving very Cher clueless. I was getting like glimpses of season one Jen coming out when totally she corners Joey in the hallway and she's like, hey, Joey, I just wanted to have a conversation about why you think. And I was like, "Okay, flashbacks. Why do you resent me so much? And Joey says, I resent, you know, Jen, I'm sick of your crap. You've recasted yourself as me in every role in Dawson's life. Now as Gail's little surrogate daughter. And like, you wonder why I hate you because you're everywhere. And team Joey. And Jen's like, you're insecure. And Joey's like, maybe I am actually, but stop coming at me stop coming for everything that i have (laughs) yeah i would hate jen too she was like you became dawson's girlfriend then you became his producer his collaborator his best friend and now you're coming for gail and you've made all of dawson's interests your entire personality yeah and you even copied his haircut (laughs) that was just you're literally morphing into dawson (laughs) I, i mean good she let her have it the jen joey roller coaster continues they will continue to fight and make up Or at least, well, actually, I think it might just be the best of this season. But we're ebbing and we're flowing. The only way out is through. I miss girls fighting on TV. (laughs) Like, I miss a cat fight. Like, oh, people fighting, killing each other, fighting over a man. That's never going to happen again. I really want to go to this bar where the boys go after the the boating day. Yeah. I love it. They must have heavy pores because John Witter is drunk. Mitch is so hot. Yeah. Ugh, Dawson calls it a seedy dockside tavern. What a loser. Interior, seedy dockside tavern. Pacey and Do- <laughs> he's writing his own story. Why is he so annoying? Just support your friend. I love the scene when they first get to the seedy dockside tavern when Pacey is trying to tell Dawson to just like recognize that his father is his father holds Dawson on a pedestal and that he's like really just the worst to Pacey and Jack stands up for Pacey. And I like that moment. I loved that moment actually. Yeah. They're both kind of calling Dawson out for being oblivious, being idealistic and not realizing that not everyone's experience is the same as his. And that Dawson is a little ungrateful because he keeps, you know, he's holding his dad on such a weird high pedestal that he shouldn't be. Do you think people underage are allowed to go to bars now with their parents or no? Um, I think that they're not allowed by the law, but maybe. Now, was know. that that way in the 90s as well? We don't know. 
I guess it depends too. If I bet it depends if they serve like food. Yeah. You know, like if it's like a bar restaurant or if it's just strictly a bar. I don't know. Yeah. So when Abby is lashing out at the girls, she kind of just says, you know, everyone's so sensitive these days. Everyone's insecure about something. I can't make, you know, a slut joke. Jen will get mad. I can't make a crazy joke. Andy will get mad. I can't make a cancer joke. Joey will get mad. And that's when Gail has had enough. She's seen enough. She kicks Abby out. And then Abby spends the whole night outside on Dawson's little, um, what are those chairs called? Adirondack. There's a Adirondack chair. But before she leaves, she says, oh what God. kind of journalist are you? Oh, not a very good one. One that sleeps around <laughs> to kill. Something like that. Unreal. And also, she didn't say, I can't make a joke about... She says, I can't make a joke about hoe bags or Jen will start humping the couch. <laughs> she doesn't say she'll get mad. Jen will start humping the couch. Abby is wild. She is wild. And we love her. We love her little zingers. I mean, we love her because she is a giant bitch. Yeah. But she admits this episode and she explains why. Um. Yeah, let's talk about that. Her why is really just a need for drama. Yeah. She's like, I don't have any, so I got to create it. Yeah. Right? That's my takeaway from that whole. Yeah. She says, I love to create drama. My family life is boring. My parents are divorced, but it was a very boring divorce. I have nothing. You have a crazy mom. Joey's dad's in jail. She doesn't say this, but her mom's dead. And Jen has this big city backstory. I have nothing. And she says, like, you guys are so ungrateful. You don't even realize how good you have it. You could take all of your aggressions out of me. Like, you could be mean to me and maybe not as mean as kick her out. Like, she wants to be in the group, but she wants to have this bantery, bitchy relationship with all of them. And Abby says, you guys are so lucky. And Andy says, you're so lucky. We just want normal lives. The grass is always green. Yeah. Abby says. Andy is like, I would kill to have that. I would kill to have a boring life, basically. And it shouldn't be noted that, like, no one brought a change of clothes to this sleepover. Maybe that's what I'm saying. Like, on both fronts. I mean, I guess the fishermen, fisher boys changed their clothes, but it didn't feel like a solid plan to me. And then these girls, like, it wasn't very clear to me off the bat that they were having an overnight. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it was all very strange. Maybe theirs was a little impromptu. No, it wasn't because Abby says... It wasn't. Yeah, my mom thought I was spending the night. Yeah. But why would they spend the night? They all live in the same town. I don't... Or, you know, they're not even friends with Dawson. I mean, two of them barely know Dawson. (laughs) Right. Right. Jen lives two feet away. (laughs) Seriously. That's weird. Let's talk about Pacey and his dad's dark game. Okay. So, basically, John Witter... Has his head down at the bar. He looks up, realizes that everyone's gone except Pacey. And he goes, you and me, kid, let's play a game of darts. And Pacey's like, dad, you're drunk. And he's like, no, come on. So they play. It comes down to the last dart. And his dad is like, beat that. And we know from the cold open that Pacey is a phenomenal dart player. And we see it in his eyes. And he looks at his dad. And his dad's looking very intensely back at him. And he throws the dart off the board doesn't even it's in the in the black do you think that he did that because he was afraid if he didn't his dad would be angry and like explode and there would be a scene what do you think his reasoning was 
I think his reasoning was my dad needs this. I don't need this. Like it would kill him to get beaten by his son at something. I don't know. He looked so sad in a way that I was like, oh, he's not. He uh, to me, it feels like he wasn't giving it to him because he was like, oh, whatever. It felt more like because then I was trying to read into his dad's facial expression when he's like beat that and they have that moment of staring at each other and he has like a very angry face. So I was like, is the risk of beating him that he would then like lose it or be like lashing out at Pacey? Or is it just like, this is the role that I have to play. So I'm going to continue to play it. I think it's more that. Yeah. I don't think he's afraid of getting lashed out at. Yeah. I think it was just like, I'm accepting my role in this relationship and I'm the loser and he's the winner yeah, I, I think it was, I'm never going to change the way this guy thinks of me. And he needs this more than I do. It's a stupid dark game. And he's drunk and he's not going to remember anyway. Yeah. I think it shows growth on Pacey's part that he's just, you know, like, I'm never going to win this guy's approval. And I don't need to anymore because I have other things going for me now. So right after that scene, Dawson returns to the boat and he finds Jack laying there and Jack says, I think I'm going to be nauseous. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, it won't stop rocking. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if he messed up his line. Like I'm about to feel sick or I'm about to throw up or I feel nauseous. I'm about to be sick. Yeah. I think I'm going to be nauseous. Did he conflate his lines? We'll never know. We'll never know. Oh my God. So when they're walking up to the boat and Mitch is talking about the ocean, I think it's Mitch, maybe it's Dawson. When he's like, it's so endless and mysterious and boundless, all the mysteries the ocean keeps, I couldn't not think of the submarine. Oh my gosh. (laughs) The submersible. Submersible. Throwback. Galore. What a shitty, excuse my French, year 2023 has been. And getting worse by the day for me. I don't know. For everyone and everything. Getting worse by the hour almost. I need good news. And I don't mean like, like, oh. The McRib is back. I can't even, yeah, like I can't <laughs> even think. Although McDonald's is doing free fries Friday. But like not that. Like something. Yeah. And as much yeah. as I love my friends having babies. What I said to my friend today was. Like the only good things that happen to people that I know anymore are just like, not just, but our pregnancies and babies. It's never, it feels bizarre. I think the world needs a universal reset. Anyway. Speaking of doom and gloom, should we talk about the scene between Pacey and his passed out father? Oh my God. So this scene, I feel like there's one per episode that I say this about, but it's burned into my brain. Mm -hmm. Pacey. John Witter, John Witter <laughs> trips and lands in the sand and said, we run ashore or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then passes out in the sand and Pacey proceeds to be like, hey, now is a good time to have that father son chat where he has both sides of the conversation and ends up crying and just being like, I can't do this alone. Basically, why don't you love me? Yeah, he's playing father and son. He's, you know, mocking his not mocking he's impersonating his father being like so how's school son a little reminiscent of a scene from breakfast club when uh judd nelson in the breakfast club is like how's school dad oh real you know how's school son real good dad and it builds and then it's like when he puts the cigarette out it has something to do with like putting a cigarette out vaguely and then pacey just breaks down and 
says, you know, I'm doing well in school. I met a girl. Is she cute? Oh, she's beautiful, dad. It is so sad. I'm like getting, I don't know, emotional talking about it. And then Casey says, when did you give up on me when I was five? Oh, I know. It's a brutal scene. Really? It was awful. And like Joshua Jackson acted his butt off. He really did. It was such, such an emotional scene. Crazy. So good. And then it's contrasted by Gail and Joey. In the next scene, Gail said she was starting to feel a little bit sad when all the girls were talking because she's always wanted a girl. She loves Dawson, but she's just, that's something that she's always wanted. And then she realized she has one and it's Joey. And Joey is her surrogate daughter, which is why Dawson's drink is called the surrogate. Exactly. And also because I need a surrogate. So if any of you want to be my surrogate (laughs) for free. Also because Micah is actively on the hunt for a surrogate. I need a surrogate. You can call Abby Morgan at 555. (laughs) Yeah, that was a cute moment. And, you know, Joey needs those. Joey's feeling very threatened in this episode. So Gail kind of made her feel more secure. There's a few themes going on. I couldn't really nail one down for the recap. There's There's this idea of respect. Respect comes up a lot. Dawson asks Pacey if he respects his dad. Jack says to Dawson, if you love Joey, you will respect me. Yes. And then Joey tells Jen at the end, I respect you. And then Mitch and Dawson talk about respect. So the respect comes up a lot. I just couldn't find a real concise through line to put it in a nice succinct way for the recap. But then also there's this idea of insecurity because the girls in the focus group are talking about what plagues them as teen girls and they all talk about what they're insecure about. Jen kind of says, you know, when I was in the city, I was on a fast track that I wasn't moving fast enough for. And then here I'm just seen as that girl, but I'm, you know, I'm this big city girl in a small town and, you know, I didn't fit in there. I don't fit in here. That was the gist. And then Joey says, you know, whenever I meet someone who's more cultured than I am or who's traveled and who's well-versed in these things and I'm poor and I don't have access to these things, I get very insecure. And then Andy just says, you know, I need to project this perfect image constantly. My dad left in in so many words. You know, my dad left us. My mom's crazy. I'm barely holding it together and I need to keep this image up. So there's this insecurity idea theme as well in this episode so again a lot going on i thought initially the girls storyline was about insecurity and then the the boys was about respect and father issues but then joey said to jen i respect you and then that's when i kind of couldn't really pull together a common theme and then i guess one could argue that abby and andy kind of found a mutual respect for each other they didn't say those words but yeah definitely between The last episode and this episode, they're kind of coming to this equilibrium a little bit, Andy and Abby. Yeah. Complex relationships. I mean, Dawson does say in the cold open, he's trying to watch movies to delve deeper into complex relationships. And I guess you could argue that Joey and Jen, everyone has complex relationship in this episode. Jeez. Yeah, that's really interesting. Joey and Jen, Pacey and his dad, Dawson and his dad, Dawson and Jack, Andy and Abby, Gail and Joey. Joey. Gail and Jen. There's a lot of little relationships floating around. Yeah. I mean, it was a good episode. It was it was layered to quote Dawson. Absolutely. Now, were we supposed to think at the end that Mitch almost accidentally walked into his house but just off of habit? Oh, that's sad. That was the gut punch. I know. 
Yeah. He and Dawson are having this heart to heart outside where, you know, Dawson says, I am lucky to have you. I respect you. I am grateful to have you as a father. And then Mitch almost accidentally walks in. And it is sad. But before that, Dawson says, let's not get sappy. He tells his dad not to get sappy, which is real rich. Dawson's so sappy. The sappiest. Mitch is such a good dad. Oh, my gosh. And he's been in these last couple times we've seen him so vulnerable to Dawson. Like, I don't really know. I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm trying to figure it out. I just want to be a good dad. Kind of. It's his whole vibe. There is zero reason that Dawson is villainizing his dad. <laughs> and when when Dawson's, I we already touched on it briefly, but when Dawson says to Jack, Jack says, Jack opens up to Dawson, which we know from past episodes is not his natural state. Jack does not like to open up to people. He opens up to Dawson and tells him that their dad has left them. He's not working at the family business or whatever. And Dawson's like, yeah, you know, I understand and Jack is like, no, you really don't. <laughs> you really don't. Your dad moved two minutes away. My dad left my family. You do not understand. I know. Poor Dawson. You know, he's just so oblivious. It's tough life. Let me ask you about, I just feel like we need to talk about Pacey getting the prize winning fish. Just needs to be noted. He won, you know, he won the Cape Side Fall Creek classic i i think it was called yeah so he wins and he gets his trophy and his dad says i'm congratulations son i'm happy for you soak up this moment you're not gonna have many more like it in your life and he walks away pacey sits down and he dawson walks up and pacey says you know i don't know why i keep opening myself up for that and dawson says you know what there's people in your life that respect you and love you and i'm you're standing in front of one right now, and the other one is probably at home having a perky coronary, I think he says, waiting for you to come home, Speak, you know, meaning Andy. And thank God Dawson had like one redeemable moment in this episode. Yes, that was a very sweet moment. That's the episode. It's a good one. It's nice to feel a little bit of a truce between Jack and Dawson. They have a handshake at the end between Joey and Jen, and then Abby and Andy have that moment as well so yeah felt like it was a good shake up and let everything settle kind of episode yeah it's a strong season they're really hitting every beat of every dynamic of every it was it was a really well plotted out season and we are like square in the middle of season two ah, can you believe crazy it's flying by well that is that episode shall we do a creek speak we shall this one is from EBLA, Best Rewatch Companion. I love this podcast. It is so fun to rewatch alongside deeply loyal fans and industry insiders. It adds a whole new layer of enjoyment. Listen and drink along as Micah and Christina share all their insights, laugh, and debate Team Dawson, Team Pacey. Thank you, EBLA. I know I don't seem Team Dawson these days, but it'll come back. It'll come back around. He's in his, he's in his flop era. He has a pretty long flop era. I know, but season four, I like him again. And then I, it'll be more Team Dawson, Team Pacey. I do love to hear that people are rewatching. I love to hear that people are watching for the first time. And I love to hear that people are rewatching. Rewatching it for us, we see new things every time. So it's awesome to hear that people are doing the same thing. Yeah, I know a few people watching it for the first time along with us. And it's so, it's, I just love hearing the impressions. Yeah. Just 
It's also crazy to me because I can't imagine not watching this at the time, you know, because it's such a big, that's like not watching like Friends or like, I don't know. It was just such a defining show for the 90s. I don't know. Y'all are crazy. Should we do a Dawson's Draft? Yeah, we should. This week's category is Best One Season Show. So a show that was only on for one season, canceled abruptly, but lives on forever in our hearts. All right, you're up first. No explanation needed. My so-called life, 19 episodes of just pure magic. Yes, it is. I knew you were going to pick one of my top two, and you did. I am going to take Freaks and Geeks for the same reason. I just think it's so well done. It's a perfect little bundle. That was my number two. (laughs) I know. My so-called life was my number two. All right, so, you know, I don't pick comedies a lot, but there was a little show on ABC a few years ago. It was called Trophy Wife. Have you ever heard? No. So it was about Malin Ackerman. Do you know who that is? She is an amazing actress. She's on Billions. She marries Bradley Whitford, who's been married two other times. And he was married to Michaela Watkins and Marsha Gay Harden. So he has kids from each of those marriages. And it's like Malin Ackerman is navigating the age difference between them. And also like being the third wife and being the trophy wife and being a stepmother and all of these things. Bradley Whitford is so funny when he does comedy. And they were all amazing. And it was a one season show, but I really did not know why. Because especially for a network comedy, it was so good and so funny. I wonder if it's streaming anywhere. Highly recommend. Speaking of Bradley Whitford, I am going to take Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. I love that show. It got a lot of flack for being... Well, for those of you that don't know, it's kind of about a show that is like the LA equivalent to Saturday Night Live. So it's a weekly comedy sketch show, but it's based in LA instead of New York. And it got a lot of flack for being Hollywood types feeling like they're overly important or like saving the show or making the best of the show was so important and such a big problem when like people have real problems in the world. So like, I understand why people felt that way, but it's whatever. It's entertaining. It's so good. It's Sarah Paulson, Matthew Perry, Bradley Whitford. It's just a great show. It's a great cast. It's a great show. It's a Sorkin joint and it's great. So Sorkin who did West Wing, Newsroom. So fast dialogue, lots of one shots, like one camera following people down the hallway. Yeah. Yeah. I watched it a little bit. I remember it being very good. I just don't think I was into shows like that. Like I, I did that with Mad Men. Like I watched the season of Mad Men. I think we've talked about it. And I was like, oh, it's just not for me. But now I think shows like that are for me. And since Matthew Perry passed away, I really want to rewatch Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Nice. So for my number three, I'm going to go with a little show that was also on a few years ago. It was on CBS. And it was a procedural. Now, I do not like or watch procedurals. But the show was called Stalker. And it was created by Kevin Williamson, and it starred Maggie Q, who I know you've worked with. Yeah. Dylan McDermott. And then at some point, Maggie Q, for like the last three episodes, Maggie Q kind of falls off because they wrap up her arc, and they brought on Mira Sorvino. I think they were testing out like they could do it with a new lead. Again, it was just a really well-done procedural. I don't watch procedurals. (laughs) It was really well done. Nice. I think... Similar to you, I almost never pick comedies, but I think I'm going to pick The Grinder. It was the Rob Lowe, Fred Savage show on NBC, I believe. And it was about Fred Savage, who is a lawyer, runs a law firm. He is kind of like 
the hardworking brother. And then Rob Lowe was a TV star who was on a long running show called The Grinder, who played a lawyer on TV. So when The Grinder got canceled, he ended up moving back home and trying to work with his brother at the law firm. And it was just funny to see how people in the law settings that they were in kind of gave him a lot of authority because they watched him for so many years on TV play a lawyer, but he was really just an idiot actor. I don't know. It was a really good show. And I think that it was canceled way too soon. I know a lot of people who love that show. That was good. For my number four. Now, this show was universally panned by critics and audience, but I don't care. I liked it. It was called State of Affairs. It was on NBC. So it started Catherine Heigl and Alfre Woodard. So basically it was, I think it was kind of like NBC's answer to like Homeland. So Catherine Heigl played like a CIA agent and Alfre Woodard played the president. (laughs) Catherine Heigl, of course, was like married to her son who died in the war. And she was just navigating like being a CIA agent haunted by her past. She falls in love with like a co-agent and critics hated it. The world hated it. But I think, you know, I think producer Beth and I loved it. I certainly loved it. Well, since you brought up producer Beth, I'm going to choose The Family, which is a show that you, me, and producer Beth watched together. (laughs) You don't understand. I had that on my list and I took it off because I was like, why? 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 This show, holy shit. (laughs) Keep going. I don't want to. No, it doesn't. I understand why you took it off your list because it doesn't deserve to be on a top list of anything, but we, it does, it does. (laughs) It was so good. It was so good. And it's about a family whose son has been kidnapped for many, many years, like years in the past, the son was kidnapped. The mother is a politician. I forget exactly what office she was in, but out of nowhere, This kid just surfaces and says that he's the son, the long since kidnapped son, and it's all of the twists and turns and he's not the son and then you find the son and the ending of the show was a really great cliffhanger and we just loved it and we wanted more. It was so freaking good. Joan Allen played the mom. Andrew McCarthy played like the guy who was accused of taking him at the time. Mm. And the I pedophile, McCarthy, right? Yeah, Andrew McCarthy like directed a bunch of the episodes. It was by a writer who was like very big and like scandal great, like Sean, every Shonda show. So if you like Shonda, you should watch it if you could find the show. Yeah, it was good. I liked it. So for my last pick, again, I'm going to go with a comedy, which I don't do. But there was a little show on Fox called Ben and Kate. And it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dakota Johnson and Nat Faxon played siblings. She was like a struggling single mother and he was like the screw up brother that came and helped his sister raise the daughter. The daughter's really cute. I don't know her name off the top of my head, but you'd know her. I think she was in like Life as a Zoo or one of the, like that Matt Damon <laughs> Zoo movie. <laughs> we uh, bought a zoo, something like that. We bought a zoo. We bought a zoo. <laughs> it was just a funny show. It was a solid show. That new girl era, like it gave new girl vibes. We've talked about it. Dakota Johnson is like one of my favorite actresses. It was really good. I love Nat Faxon, too. He was actually on a show that it was short-lived that I loved called Friends from College that, again, everyone hated, but I thought it was like the funniest show ever. No, I liked that show. It had two seasons, so we I couldn't pick it. But Keegan-Michael Key, right? Wasn't he in that? Yeah. And yeah. Fred Savage and Billy Eichner. I mean, 
Look, when I told people that I loved friends from college, the number one response I got was those people are so unlikable. So if you need to like the characters in order to like a show, then maybe this isn't for you. But I don't need to like characters. <laughs> if it's funny, I'll watch it. If it's good, I'll watch it. And Friends from College was so funny. I felt the same way about Togetherness, which is another show that went for two seasons, yes. not one. And I was like, oh, man, I want to pick it. But two seasons. That's I such forgot a about show. that show. That's um, Duplass on HBO, right? Mm-hmm. That was a good show. All right. Well, I think I'm going to follow suit with a comedy and I'm going to pick a show that was so short lived. I think it only lasted six episodes before it was canceled, but it was an NBC show called Best Friends Forever. It was created by Lennon Parham and Jessica St. Clair. Lennon Parham, you would know she's in like Veep, Bless This Mess. They're two Mm -hmm. comedians and writing partners who I just think are so hysterical. I used to go see them at UCB all the time. They're so funny to me. And they had this NBC sitcom. I'll never forget their little neighbor girl. She was like a 10-year-old girl. And she was like the comedic genius of the show. Her name was Quinetta on the show. It was just a really, really funny show that was a little bit clunky at first, but you could tell it was going to be really funny. It just had to kind of like find its footing and they didn't give it a chance to. So it sucked. I know the two girls you're talking about. I didn't watch this. So Jessica St. Clair, I feel like is like typecast is that like stuck up mom PTA mm-hmm, mom, mm-hmm. annoying neighbor character on like every sitcom. You'd know her. You don't, yes. you might not know her by name, but you know her by face. Yeah, both of them, you would know their faces for sure. My runner up, I was going to pick Reunion, but I just, I remember loving the show. And I know we've talked about it. And I know people have messaged us about Reunion, but I didn't feel like I knew it well enough in my memory to talk about it. But I just know that it was, I was obsessed with it and that I would kill to watch it again. I can't find it anywhere, but I didn't know it well enough to talk about it passionately fair i can't believe you didn't pick harper's island (laughs) oh my gosh it was on my list we should give that a runner-up shout out harper's island is a show that we as a friend group watched bought on dvd made drinking rules too and used to pregame before we went out like we watched that show so many times it's not good per se (laughs) so that's why it was like Definitely like horror campy, 30 people go to a wedding on an island and like one or two people die an episode. Who's killing them? Oh my God. And like, for some reason, it? the boat's gone, so they can't leave the island. Like, it's Look, so The good. boat is gone. <laughs> <laughs> the phones don't work. People don't care when their spouse disappears for two days. They're like, huh, where's Josh? I don't know. One by one. Do you remember? <laughs> that was like, that was yeah. like the theme songs. Sure do. Sure do remember. Well, to recap, my fiver, my so-called life, trophy wife, stalker, state of affairs, and Ben and Kate. I highly recommend all of them. Mine are Freaks and Geeks, Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, The Grinder, The Family, and Best Friends Forever. The family was so <laughs> damn good. Uh, I think that's it. Well, what's the Dawson's drink for next week's episode, which is called His Leading Lady? His Leading Lady. And we will be drinking The Leading Lady. It is Prosecco, raspberry vodka, and fresh raspberries. It sounds exactly up Micah's alley, and I'm excited to drink it. Yeah, I love a Prosecco drink moment. Just We've done a few of those. And you specifically love a vodka prosecco cocktail love 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 next week's episode is diving more into dawson filming his movie hijinks hijinks drama something else happens don't want to give away too much couple new guest cast 
popping up next week. Things are happening. We're in the back half of season two. We sure are. And not to, I feel like I can tease things that were in the trailer for the episode at the time, but a famous film actress of that time is in next week's episode and she was in the trailer and I remember seeing her and being like, what? It was crazy. You're like, this show is legit. They got her. It's not Meryl Streep or anything. I mean, she was in a movie or two at the time and seeing her on Dawson's, it was like, what? Yeah, man. Her? That's back when film was king. TV was slumming it. <laughs> that there it really was like very separate film actors yes. and TV actors. Yeah. I mean, HBO and Apple have pretty much made it acceptable for people to go back and forth. But I feel like Apple's whole brand is like getting film actors, big movie actors to do TV. That's like their shtick. Reese, Jennifer Aniston, Jason Momoa, Paul Rudd, Jason Siegel, Harrison, Harrison Ford. Ford. Anyway. As a little also a teaser, Dawson did mention this episode, which we forgot to say that he still needs to cast some roles for his movie. His movie is fast approaching. Things aren't done. Even though Jen is amazing at budgeting and producing and all of these things, he still has to line up some cast, props, set deck. Sounds like she's not that great, to be honest. <laughs> Sounds like he's delusional and blinded by her hair like looking in a mirror he's such an egomaniac that's why he wants to have sex with her because she looks just like him it's all making sense well that'll be that catch us next week for episode 213 213 his leading lady we'll see you next week bye bye